All right, welcome back to our study of the letter to the Romans here on the Listener's Commentary. In this session, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 4, specifically Romans 4, 1 through 12. And what you'll notice as you're reading through Romans chapter 4 is that the main character of Romans 4 is Abraham. If you're not familiar with your Bible, Abraham shows up in Genesis chapter 12, and he's a central player in, he and his family really are central players in the last two-thirds of the book of Genesis. So the question here in Romans 4 is, well, why does Paul bring up Abraham? And the, the answer to that is really, really important because Abraham is not just like a random example. It's not like just, oh, let's pull an example of somebody who lived by faith out of the hat. Oh, Abraham's a good one. It's, it's, this is not random. When Paul brings up Abraham in Romans chapter 4, this is intentional. This is in keeping with the, the overarching story of the Bible. So the more we know that story and the more we understand where Abraham fits into that story and Abraham's role in that story, the more we'll understand Romans chapter 4. See, Abraham was the founding father of the Jews, of the nation of Israel. God had called Abraham, and through him he was going to bless all the nations of the earth, God says. In other words, he's going to reverse the curse of Genesis 3 and bring his blessing to the world through Abraham and his descendants, his offspring. And for the Jews, everything derived from, centered around the promise to Abraham. And so when Paul brings up Abraham in Romans 4, this isn't random. This is central. This is central to understanding God's purposes. This is central to establishing the law, establishing the Old Testament, as Paul said at the end of chapter 3. This is central to the whole story of God's redemption and God's plan. Paul presents the, the story of Abraham here to show that in Jesus, God has done what he promised to do way back at the beginning, that God had promised to bring his blessing to the, the, the whole world, to all the nations through Abraham. And in Jesus, God has done that. And not just that he's done it, he has done it for the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike, the same way he did it for Abraham, which was by faith. Right? And so Abraham is, is not a random illustration. He's a central part of the biblical story. Not only that, but the way Paul interacts with the Abraham story here in Romans chapter 4 is very tightly connected to with what Paul had said at the end of Romans chapter 3. In fact, Romans 4 begins with the word, therefore, don't always see it because sometimes they translate it as then or, or in various ways, but it's therefore. So Romans 4 is a conclusion directly flowing out of what he said at the end of chapter 3. That's important. And the three big ideas that Paul dealt with in 327 through 31, boasting, circumcision, and the law, are the exact same three ideas that Paul deals with in Romans chapter 4. In fact, in interacting with the story of Abraham, he takes up those same three topics in the exact same order. So in Romans 4, 1 through 8, Paul is dealing with boasting and why Abraham can't boast. In Romans 4, 9 through 12, Paul is dealing with circumcision. Was Abraham circumcised or uncircumcised when he was counted righteous? And in Romans 4, 13 through 25, 
Paul is really dealing with the whole issue of the law and faith and the promise. How did Abraham receive the promise? Did he receive it by keeping the law or by faith? And so the same three topics that Paul brought up in Romans 3, 27 through 31 are the same three topics that Paul draws out of the Abraham story to drive home his point. And so the main function of chapter 4 seems to be to drive home that point that there is no place for boasting because God has one family composed of Jews and Gentiles, circumcised and uncircumcised, purely on the grounds of faith in God's promise, not on the Torah. And before we jump into Romans chapter 4, I would encourage you to actually kind of skim down through the chapter and pay attention to a handful of key words that show up repeatedly in the chapter. One is the word faith. It shows up 16 times in chapter 4. Another one is the word credited or reckoned, depending on your translation. Uh, the Greek word behind it is logizomai. We'll talk about that more in a second. And it shows up 11 times, credited or reckoned, 11 times. And then the word righteous or righteousness, which also shows up 11 times in the chapter. There are a few other kind of secondary keywords like works, law, and promise. But faith, credited, and righteousness are main words for the chapter that just show up over and over again. And so just noting those words will help you see kind of the Kind of the conglomeration of them is really where Paul's point, the nexus of those three main words, faith, reckoned, and righteousness, helps us understand the main point Paul is getting at here in this chapter. Also, if you're not super familiar with the Abraham story, it would actually do you well to swing back to the book of Genesis and just read Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Genesis 15, 1 through 19, and Genesis 17, 1 through 14, to read back to those three chunks and just read them to get the story of Abraham in your mind so that as you read through what Paul says here in Romans 4, you can do so with uh, the familiarity with this story that Paul is interacting with here in Romans chapter 4. All right, with that by way of introduction, let's jump into the details of this. In this session, we're going to look at the first two parts of the chapter where Paul deals with the first two topics that he dealt with at the end of Romans chapter 3 as well. So the first topic he deals with is, why can't Abraham boast? Why, even for Abraham himself, was there no boasting? And so he takes that up in Romans 4, 1 through 8. This is what he says. What, therefore, shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So here he brings up Abraham and he brings up the fact that Abraham has no room for boasting. And the reason Abraham can't boast is because God's blessing to him came not as something due to him, but as something that was simply a gift of God's grace to be received by faith. In verse 1, Paul describes Abraham as our forefather according to the flesh, our there being Jews, and he means our fleshly ancestor, simply, right? Our fleshly descendant. The reason he describes him as our forefather according to the flesh is because Paul has already spelled out and will continue to spell out that God's family is composed of people who aren't fleshly descendants of Abraham. 
there's more to being part of Abraham's family and thus part of God's family than just having Abraham's blood flowing through your veins, right? There is actually living in faithful obedience to God. And so he describes Abraham this way simply to be very specific who he's talking about and that he's talking about somebody who's a mere fleshly ancestor, but there's more to it than that. He says if Abraham had been justified by works, then he would have an appropriate place to boast, something he had achieved and accomplished, but not before God. That is, that's not the way it actually was before God. Go back and read the story, and that's where Paul is going to go. Go back and read the story, and you'll see that's just not the way it was between Abraham and God. It wasn't by works. And so in verse 3, he goes on, and he says, what does the scripture say? And he goes back to the Abraham story, and he actually quotes there in the second half of verse 3, Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so Abraham is credited as righteous. In other words, he was justified. He was put into a right relationship with God, not on the basis of his works, but on the basis of believing God, trusting God's promise. When you read Genesis 15, 6 in context, what you realize is that we're talking about Abraham being promised a son by God. God actually assures Abraham that his servant isn't going to be the heir of his household, that he will have a legitimate descendant, not only one little a legitimate descendant, but multitudes of descendants. In fact, there's going to be a whole family, nation that derives from him. In fact, God takes Abraham outside in Genesis 15 and says, now look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. And God says to him, so shall your descendants be. In other words, Abraham, you're going to have so many descendants that it's going to be uncountable like the stars. Then Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God's promise. He simply believed that what God said would happen would happen. He trusted God to do it. And thus it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, he was reckoned as righteous. He was put into a right relationship with God. God treated him as righteous, not because of his works, but simply because of his loyal, uh, faithful response to God's promise. This word translated credited here in uh, Romans chapter 4 is that word legizomai in Greek that we mentioned shows up 11 times in this chapter. And to be credited, to be legizomai, means it's credited to your account. This word was actually used in the world of business, finance, and accounting in the ancient world as something that was credited to your account. You have a credit on your account. You have a debit on your account. Well, to be credited to your account means Abraham was credited with righteousness. God credited him righteousness. says, I'm going to treat you as righteous, Abraham, regardless of your works, regardless of your history, regardless of your wrongdoing. You've got righteousness on your account. That's the idea of credited here. In fact, Paul goes on in verses 4 and 5 of this section, sort of finance imagery. He uses the imagery of a paycheck. Look at what he says in verses 4 and 5. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what's due. So if you have a job, you do your job, you get a paycheck, and it's not a gift, it's not a favor, right? It's not a gift of grace. That's what you earn because you did the work and the boss is going to pay you, the company is going to pay you for the work you did. So you get a paycheck for work done. That's not a gift. That's not a favor. But verse five, to the one who does not work, 
but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And so Paul extrapolates out from the Abraham story and says what was true of Abraham is really just a general principle for how God deals with people, how God relates to people, and how people are supposed to relate to God. They are supposed to believe in him who justifies the ungodly. Wow, that is a shocking phrase, right? That God is described here as the one who justifies the ungodly, which when you put that in its Old Testament context, you have passages like Proverbs 17, 15, or Exodus 23, 7, which basically says, for a judge to be uh, someone who justifies the ungodly, that's criminal, that's wrong, that's not right, that judge deserves to be uh, called to account. So how can God be described that way? Well, because of everything he said in 321 through 26. God justifies the ungodly, not because he takes bribes, not because he sweeps wrongdoing under the carpet, but because he himself has absorbed the price and the penalty for the wrongdoing, and thus he's able to pardon, let go the ungodly. And so when we believe in God, when we trust in him to justify us, when we trust in the work of Jesus, our faith is credited to us as righteousness. We are treated as righteous. We're given that favorable verdict, and we stand before God righteous. God declares us that, credits us that, right? On our account is righteousness, not ungodliness, not guilt. And that means it's not a paycheck for work done, but it's a favor. It's a gift of God's grace. Paul actually goes on in verse 6 and says, this isn't an exceptional thing that just happened with Abraham to establish the point that this is just the way God works. He actually also calls out the example of David in verse 6. He says this, just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from the works. And then he quotes a passage from the writings of David in the Psalms. He says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. This is a quote from Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, that shows what was true of Abraham is also true of David. It is a general principle. This is the way God works with his people. He blesses them by forgiving their sins, by covering their sins, by not taking into account their sin. And that word account is the, the, the connection point for Paul. Like the word account is related to the word credit and righteous. It comes from this idea of the business world of paychecks and finance and debits and credits, right? Well, God's not going to credit sin onto our account because of our faith like Abraham's, right? And so so what was true of Abraham is also true of David and is also true of all of those now who put their faith in Jesus as Messiah. Our relationship to God is based on faith. Abraham's relationship with God was based on faith. And God credited Abraham righteousness. He credits us righteousness. That's why Abraham couldn't boast. That's why we don't boast. Now in verses 9 through 12, Paul takes up the second topic that of circumcision, and really the question that he's going to deal with is, when was Abraham counted righteous? 
Was Abraham counted righteous when he was circumcised or uncircumcised? And the point Paul is going to make in these verses is this. Because Abraham was justified prior to circumcision, he is the father of believing Gentiles just as well as the father of believing Jews. This is what it says. Verse 9. Is this blessing, this blessing of being counted righteous, this blessing of being forgiven and justified, is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? And so there's the question. So he recalls what he quoted, Genesis 15, 6, and says, when did this happen? When did this happen to Abraham? When did God count him righteous, justify him, put him into a right relationship with himself? And the reason this is an important topic is because circumcision was so central to the Jewish mindset and the Jewish really social understanding. Circumcision is brought up because it's the crucial covenant sign or mark under the old covenant. Right? Jews were marked out by circumcision. A Gentile convert to Judaism was marked out by circumcision. And here Paul shows that Abraham was counted righteous, that is justified, through faith 14 years before he was circumcised. And so at that time he was also promised to be a blessing to all people, all the nations, that is to the Gentiles. And so the sign of circumcision came much later, he says, as a seal of the righteousness, that is the right standing with God, the justification that Abraham had earlier. It's a seal or a mark of his faith, but the faith is central. That's the whole point Paul is making. And so he raises this question, when did this blessing happen, while circumcised or uncircumcised? And the answer he gives there in the second half of verse 10 is, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. In Genesis 15, when God says, you're credited as righteousness, Abraham, Abraham was uncircumcised. He was a Gentile. He wasn't a Jew yet. And you see, from the Jewish vantage point, Abraham was so sort of central to their understanding that some Jews even taught that Abraham sort of kept the law in advance and it was sort of like the prototypical Jew. And Paul is trying to help them unlearn some of their, their misuse of the Abraham story by pointing out that Abraham, if you just pay attention to the chronology, Abraham was uncircumcised when God justified him. And he was justified purely by faith, not by keeping the law. And thus we know that Gentiles, uncircumcised people, can be justified by faith just like Abraham was. So Paul goes on here in Romans 4 and verse 11 and says, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believed without being circumcised, the right, that righteousness might be credited to them, and he might be the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision of Abraham, but also who follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. This is actually quite revolutionary. Uh, I'm imagining that Jews of Paul's day would have found this incredibly offensive, but it's logically true. It's chronologically true. It's historically true. The point Paul is making is that Abraham was credited as righteous while uncircumcised. Later, he received circumcision. And so, in effect, 
Abraham is really the father of both Gentiles and Jews when they have the same sort of faith in God that Abraham had. He is not just the father of the Jews, he's also the father of the Gentiles. And that, that is a shocking point that Paul uses to, to help us understand that God has always intended that his family would be composed of both Jews and Gentiles marked out by faith. Let's go back and hit just a few details of those verses, verses 11 through 12. He says that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. So Abraham was credited as righteous in Genesis 15. That happened 14 years before the covenant of circumcision, which showed up in Genesis 17. And so there's a 14-year gap between those two. And so Abraham received circumcision as a sign in Genesis 17 of the righteousness of faith that he had earlier and he had for 14 years. Paul draws out this implication. He says, so that Abraham might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So he's the father of uncircumcised Gentiles that righteousness might be credited to them, just like it was credited to Abraham. And so Gentiles, by virtue of the imitating Abraham's faith, can have righteousness credited to them as well. And in the same way, by receiving this sign of circumcision, Abraham's the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision that Abraham received, but also who follow in the steps of faith. So faith is primary. Sure, you're circumcised. Sure, you're of that literal heritage of faith of Abraham. Fine, well and good. But you you have to have the faith of our father Abraham in order to experience the blessing of our father Abraham, which is this being credited as righteous. So the point is, when it comes to being righteous, that is being in a right relationship with God and entering into God's covenant family, Gentiles and Jews are on the same ground. And that ground is the ground of faith, now faith focused on Jesus as Messiah. And so Abraham is the father of uncircumcision. He is the father of circumcision. And the reason he is the father of both is because to be truly part of Abraham's family, that circumcision won't cut it. In terms of being in on the covenant, in terms of being righteous and justified, fleshly lineage must be accompanied by Abraham-like faith, and thus the ground of being part of Abraham's family is the ground of faith. And so we see that being justified by faith was the way it always was supposed to be. It's the way God has always worked from Abraham onward. God's people are people who trust in the promises of God, and they are justified by faith. They are credited as being righteous simply by trusting in the promises of God. And those promises are now centered in and focused on the person of Jesus, the Messiah.